0: You've been with us the last several weeks. Uh, you know that we've been in this series on our mission, vision, and values. So if you look on your bulletin, uh, you'll see our mission and our vision. Uh, so even if you've seen this or heard this a 100 times, I want you to look at the mission of our church. All right, I want you to say it with me. The mission of Hope Restoring Church is bringing the person and work of Jesus Christ to bear in every area of our lives and our community. All right, that might sound like the most generic church mission statement you've ever seen. And in some ways, that's okay. This kind of is, churches use different language to talk about the mission of their church, but just because it seems somewhat mundane uh, does not mean that it's not possible. This is impossible. Uh, What's much more likely is for a church to really zone in on its distinctives, its denominational distinctives, for us to really talk about what it means to be Presbyterian, to to always talk about what it means to be Reformed. Now, we are Presbyterian. We are Reformed. We are excited about that. But you can be, talk about being Presbyterian, talk about being Reformed, and you can leave Jesus really completely out of the picture, where Jesus becomes just this person to be studied as opposed to this person to know. And that's why we want to bring his person and his work to bear in our lives. And we also think that's the hope of our community. So that's why we've been talking about that. And then we've been talking about our mission statement. In our mission statement, you'll see the phrase in and around downtown that we're saying that as a church, uh, that's the geography. That's our target area. That's the part of Lexington that we want to reach. So when we think about who lives in and around downtown, what, what we come to see is that there are a lot of skeptics who live in and around downtown. Uh, what's in and around downtown is very much some of the least church parts of our city, even our state. What we also see in and around downtown is that we see a lot of poverty. So we want to be a church that's about serving the poor. We'll talk about that too what we see in and around downtown is that we see a, a diverse population of people, uh, as diverse as you'll find in the state of Kentucky. So we're going to talk about that. What does it mean to love people who are different than you? And so now we, we, we've been asking the question, all right, so if that's who lives in and around downtown, what tools uh, do we have in our toolbox? What, what, is, what do we need to know as we look to reach these people? And we've talked about uh, beauty in the arts. Uh, we talked about community and relationships last week. Uh, And this week, we're going to talk about prayer. Um, As we talk about prayer, uh, I always want you to know, uh, before I really get rolling, that I lean heavy on a book called A Praying Life. It's one of my favorite books. You may have heard me talk about it. It's written by a guy named Paul Miller. I highly recommend it to all of you. If you don't have it, um, you should get it. Uh, It's right up there with General Lowly for me. This is probably two of my all-time faves. So just want you to lean heavy on Brother Miller uh, today in my sermon. So. Uh, let us pray before we talk about prayer. Father in heaven, uh, Lord, we, we do pray every Sunday uh, because I really do believe uh, that nothing substantial can happen without the work of your spirit. And so, Lord, we throw ourselves at you. Uh, holy. I, I, I am throwing myself as a preacher wholly uh, on you. Lord, I'm not trusting in my preparation. I'm not pr- trusting in my uh, previous experience. Uh, but, Lord, I'm trusting on you. And, you know, Lord, I, I, I pray for these listeners, Lord, that they would uh, not just trust on their cognitive abilities or their ability to remember this tomorrow when they get out of bed or a week from now or for this to be uh, some hugely impactful sermon. But, Lord, I pray that in, perhaps in, in the most quiet of ways, uh, Lord, that there would be uh, a greater dependence on you because of your activity in our lives Because of what we get out of this text. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but as you uh, look at Jesus in the four gospels, um, I, I, I don't know if it's true for you, but it's true for me that um, he makes me really uncomfortable sometimes. And perhaps what Jesus makes me most uncomfortable is when he talks about prayer. All right, here are just a few things that Jesus said about prayer. One of them is in Mark 9, 29. He casts out a demon out of a young boy and after he does so, he looks at the crowd and he says, this kind, speaking of this kind of demon, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. That's an odd statement. Does Jesus mean that there are other kinds of demons that can be driven out without prayer? It makes you uncomfortable. How about this one? Matthew 5, 44. no no explanation. Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I like praying for people that I like. I don't like praying for my enemies, it makes me uncomfortable. Matthew 7, verses 7 to 9. What if I ask and knock and seek and it's not given that I don't find and the door's not open? Makes me uncomfortable. And then our text for today. Just a series of verses that come from uh, the, the upper room discourse in John from chapters 14, 15, and 16. Uh, they'll be on the screen here. Start with John 14, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Then John 16, verses 23 and 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. The word of the Lord. So you see it right there those six verses, two in chapter 14, two in chapter 15, two in chapter 16, if you add them all up, Jesus says the phrase, ask whatever you wish in my name and I will give it to you. Six times! Six times in six verses in this whole conversation that he's having with the disciples in the upper room in John chapters 13 to 17 all happens in about an hour and a half. So here he is just tunneling. He six times. And as we hear it, it begs the question why aren't our lives characterized by explain, exclaiming God for how He's answered all our prayers? I mean, if He did say that He'd give us whatever we asked for, why doesn't this match up with our experience? Why? Well, there are two reasons. The first reason is that we don't ask. The second reason is we ask selfishly. This is what we see in James 4. James chapter 4 says, You desire and do not have so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Then verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So if what you imagine as we talk about prayer, that this life of answer, of of living living a life of of one prayer after another being answered by God. That's the path we're on. Would you imagine being on that path? Do you think about this next year? It's just one string of answered prayers after another. The next year, your life is just characterized by answered prayers over and over. But on either side of the path are these steep cliffs that we have a tendency to fall off one side or the other. On one side of the cliff, were we not living a life of answered prayer, that cliff is the not asking cliff. Why, why, why don't we live this Oh, well? Because we don't ask. And the other side of the cliff, I want you to imagine the reason we don't live this kind of life is because we ask selfishly. So let's talk about not asking first. Where does this come from? Well, I want to talk about philosophically for just a moment, because the way that we think as Western by a period in Europe in the 18th century called the Enlightenment. And the leading thinkers of the Enlightenment, what what they ended up doing is that they made great strides in science and technology that benefited the world, that benefited you, benefited me. That's not to be taken away from the thinkers of the Enlightenment. But their motive for much of what they were doing is that they wanted to explain a world without God. And so what they did is that they... Had this separation of fact and feeling. Facts were things that were true for everyone. And feelings were things that were only true for the individual. And now this is the world we live in. And it's the first to not have a public a public acknowledgement of the spirit. Of the Western world being exceptions. I mean, I think about a time uh, that Jen and I we went to New York and uh, we were at the Met, this museum, this, uh, and we were going through all the different rooms of all the different cultures, and what you saw in every single one of the rooms was this acknowledgement of the spiritual realm. But that's not necessarily the world of it sounds like a statement that's out of touch. It sounds academic. It sounds philosophical. It sounds like it's just this mumbo jumbo. But I think it gives us one reason why we don't pray. It's because our culture thinks prayer is hokey and phony, and if we're honest, we think prayer is hokey and phony too. Never say that. It explains why we don't do it much. I think another reason that we don't pray very much is that we don't think God's very personal. If he's personal, which means that he gets really close. And when he gets really close to us, then we lose control. We fear God being in control. We want intimacy with him, but when it comes, we tend to back away. We're afraid. We're afraid that we might get exposed. And what prayer does is it opens us up to a life of being exposed. It opens us up to a life of releasing control, because God might just intrude on us. See, we like control, but we don't like grace. We would much rather know what we want, go after it with all we have, and earn it. That way, because we've been in control and we earn what what it is we've gone after, guess who gets the credit for that? We do. Prayer is risky. Prayer means our prayers might not be answered. So we just go on life isolated from God. We don't want to engage with him, even though he's living and he's gracious to you. i give you an illustration. A couple weeks ago, Jared preached a great sermon from Matthew 25. Within his sermon, he mentioned some of our neighbors out around our church building. And I was challenged during that sermon. I got to sit right over here. Uh, you know, it's the back But y'all got to listen to Jared preach. I didn't. Uh, so I loved it. And I was—I I, love listening to any sermon that I don't have to preach. I love them all now. <laughs> I really love Jared. But, uh, as, he, as he was preaching, he was talking about our neighbors. who hanging around our building. I was really challenged. I was challenged to engage more deeply with these neighbors. So I had a couple hours one day. I really just didn't get my blood pump and I was starting to fall asleep in my chair in my office. And so I just like, well, I'll just walk around the building. Maybe some of our neighbors would be hanging out. Well, a couple guys were hanging out on the front porch. And I met them. I just told them, hey, I'm a pastor here at one of the churches that meets in this building. And we had a conversation for a few minutes. And I was like, well, you know, that was kind of the end of the conversation. It was probably about a half hour. And he said, well, pastor, wait, wait, wait a second. Will you pray for me? I said, sure. Is there anything in particular you need me to pray for you about? And he said, yeah, I need a new pair of shoes. You got it. So, we pray. I asked God to give him a new pair of shoes. And as I'm praying that God would give him a new pair of shoes, I thought, well, I should probably go buy him a pair. So, we get done praying. I asked him the size of his shoes. I said, have a good day. Left, went to Walmart, bought him a pair of boots. Came back and I said, God answered your prayer. Now I tell you that because I'm not impressed by myself there. I mean, at the end of the day, you're the ones who paid for their shoes, not me. <laughs> what I'm really impressed by is this guy's asking. And I think that's what Jesus was impressed by, too. He was impressed by my brother's willingness to ask. We do not have because we do not ask. That's one cliff. The other cliff is asking selfishly. Now, you probably notice in all those verses from John 14 15, there are two conditions that must be met in order for Jesus to answer your prayer. One of them is found in one place, John 15, 7. It says that we must abide in Him. We have to live in this mystical communion with Jesus. And the other one is that we have to ask in his name. And that's what's repeated five other times in those six verses. I remember seeing those verses uh, probably when I was in high school and I just started praying in Jesus' name left and right. I just thought it was some kind of magical formula I could slap on at the end of my prayers and they'd all I'd be guaranteed they'd all be answered this isn't some kind of name it and claim it. It's about the name. See, the Bible is full of just how seriously God takes the name, his name. I mean, think about it. One of the Ten commandments is about not taking his name in vain. You read through the Exodus narrative this back and forth between Pharaoh and Moses, and you'll see how seriously God takes his name. Because that account Repeatedly over and over, uses the phrase, for my God, for my name's sake. You flip over to the New Testament, it's the same story. In the Lord's Prayer, you have would be your name. Amen. Or you have Jesus, he's teaching his disciples about the value and the example of children. And he says, Whoever receives one such child am in my receives me. Or Jesus teaches the disciples. About fellowship. And he says, Where two or three are gathered in my, there am I among them. Or you have a picture of the end of all things. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord because of the name of Jesus. So if this whole praying in Jesus' name is not some kind of magical formula, then what is it? It's that the name is the summation of all of God's character. It's about his identity. It's about his worth. His name is synonymous with his person. So when you pray in Jesus' name, you're praying that God is glorified, that he's hallowed, that he's made much of, that he's honored, that he's worshipped. That means he's promising to answer every prayer that you pray when your motive is that God's glorified. But you know it usually happens when we pray, right? We usually pray in our name. We usually pray that our name is glorified, that our name is hallowed, that our name is made much of, that our name is honored, that our name is worshiped, that our lives are easier and more comfortable. That's the other side of the cliff that we fall off on. That's why we're not living on this path of one prayer being answered after. So when you put all this together, you really need two things in prayer, when you pray. You need desire, you need submission. See, desire and feelings and passion, that's what asking is all about. And as you abide in Jesus, as you get more acquainted with God in his name, you'll begin to desire to feel and be passionate about what God desires, feels, and is passionate about And guess what? You'll start asking for what God wants you to ask for. Another thing you need is your prayer you need submission. And that submission is just letting God determine the best way to accomplish his ends. And usually when we're submitting to God in prayer is that we're putting things on God's timeline. Usually your prayers aren't unanswered not when you've asked. Not when you've made them for God's name. He just hasn't answered them yet. He want you to persist in prayer. That's what a couple of the parables are all about in the Gospels. So when you put these two things together, when you put submission and desire together, there's a really good example in the Gospels. It's with Jesus. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he expresses his desire. He asks. God uh, uh, something and he asked to avoid the crucifixion here's his prayer father all things are possible for you remove this cup from me all things are possible for you remove this cup from me you see Jesus is expressing his desire he doesn't want to die a gruesome death he doesn't want to absorb the wrath of God for sin for our sin not his He's being completely real before his his father. He's showing his doubt. He knows that there's no other way for him to accomplish what he set out to accomplish but through death. But that doesn't keep him from being honest. Isn't that amazing? So if Jesus can be this honest before the father, so can you. But his feelings don't control day. Because the next line of his prayer is this. Yet not what I will, but yours be done. See the combination? Desire submission. So now what? How are we going to get started on this prayer journey? How are we going to take another step in our prayer lives? Well, Let me give you two things you need. You're going to need the gospel. See, the greatest news you'll ever hear about prayer is not that Jesus will answer all your prayers if you abide in him and you pray in his name. That's really astounding news. It's really, really good news. But it's not the best news. The best news about prayer is that Jesus prays for you. Hebrews 7 says that Jesus lives to always, always make intercession. your salvation is totally secure because Jesus never stops praying for you. See, it's not like you got saved when you were a kid, you got saved when you were in college, you got saved two weeks ago, and now all you got to do is hurry up and wait to get to heaven. No, 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 no. See, there's a heavenly dynamic going on for you today. Today, Jesus is praying for you And because Jesus is praying for you, you can pray. And you can know that even if your prayers are selfish, even if they're shallow and kind of fake, even if you don't pray very often, it's not going to stop Jesus from praying for you. And that's the gospel. And you're going to really need it if you're going to persevere in prayer. Because more than likely, you're going to start praying and you're going to quit wonder, does Jesus still care about me? And you need to know he does because he always prays for you. The second thing you need is you're going to need community. Most of the ways I've learned to pray have been from praying with other people because praying by myself is really hard. I'm I'm in some ways really comforted when I see the disciples fall asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm kind of comforted when you see the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, go up on Mount Transfiguration with Jesus and they fall asleep. I, I'm really comforted when I see the Lord's Prayer because sometimes I don't know what to pray. And Jesus knows that we're so dim-witted when it comes to prayer that He had to give us word for word what to say. So don't be discouraged as you set out to develop your prayer life. Let's struggle together. Let's meet after church and figure out how to pray in the weeks and months and years to come. Here's why I'm talking about prayer at the end here, at the end of this series. It's because I believe that our mission, our vision, our values are right in line with God's name. See, if you bring the personal work of Jesus Christ to bear in every area of your life, in every area of your community, it's going to be good for God's name. If the skeptics who live in and around downtown are converted, and the poor in and around downtown are served, and those who are different than us in and around downtown are loved, then I can promise you, God will be made much of. All of these things God is about. In fact, I believe that as we pray about these things, we're directing the strategy of God here on earth. I know that sounds blasphemous. But based on texts like we see here, John 14, 15, and 16, I believe God works in the world through our prayers in ways that he would not otherwise. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray as a church based on our mission, vision, values, because we think God will be glorified when he answers. Father, our mission vision values, we, we really don't think they're cute or impressive. believes and asks. And church will submit uh, to your great beautiful